Get ready for the Small Church Shepherds podcast. Small Church Shepherds exist to encourage, enrich, and equip small church pastors and churches. You can find our blog and more information about us at smallchurchshepherds.com. Thanks for joining us at Small Church Shepherds. Uh, today it was just me, Jonathan, and I have Dennis with us. James is out today because this one's kind of short notice recording, but we'll be doing some more episodes soon, and he'll be back with us. Looking forward to those coming up. We're going to do a kind of a mini-series in the podcast. We'll have a few episodes on counseling and different types of counseling and resources for counseling. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But today we are going to be talking about vision casting. Um, this is a I don't know. Some people have problems with that term, have visions or vision casting. Um, but we hope to define what we mean by that today and and just kind of kick out some what is it? How do you go about it? What are some hurdles we're going to need to deal with so that we don't, you know, kill our ministry and lose our job trying to cast a vision? Um, so what's up, Dennis? What is vision casting? Um, well, good morning, Jonathan. Um, vision, vision casting is really um, this idea of setting before your people um, just a, 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 a picture of what a healthy church looks like, what the church is supposed to be doing biblically, and how you as a church can move from where you are to where you need to be as a church. It can include a whole host of things. It can include um, scripture things. It can include um, Bible study and outreach. It can include physical plant things like building Sunday school spaces and mm-hmm. and renovating sanctuaries. So it's a, it's a, it's a very broad scope of things, but on a simple basis, it is putting before your people a picture of of what the church is supposed to do and how we can get there. And so that's really what it yeah. is. And and I would agree with you on that. I also think that uh, it's it's got to be something people call some people call it a vision for the church. Some people call it uh, the church motto or or the church theme that they're doing. Um, and, and you'll see it. They'll they'll some people like more. You see it in church plants more than traditional churches where they'll have like a little phrase that's like the heart of their church. So you'll like whether it's like where life happens or. Uh, gospel-centered, or they'll have something like that, and it's their little catchphrase for the church. And and what that really is, that's their vision that they're trying to achieve. Um, I think when I say say vision casting, I say, what is the vision? And you kind of hit on it. And it's not like we're saying, okay, the Lord has given us visions for our church. What we're really saying is that there is a vision, an image of a healthy biblical church found in Scripture. Um, And we are trying to, when we cast a vision, we're trying to just give a tangible picture of what that's going to look like for our church so that our members have, uh, the membership has a goal that they can work towards um, in in that. So so what is honest. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. (laughs) What is vision casting? I mean, it just depends on who you're talking to. Because for one person, that whole idea of what the biblical concept is or the biblical picture of a healthy church is may not even be a part of their view of what vision casting is. But if we're going to do it right, I think we've got to ground it in what is the biblical picture of a church. And, and, And I think that's incredibly important is that we, we first ask that question, what is 
what 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 should a healthy church? What is a biblical church doing? And then how do we we get there? So, well, just uh, setting our experiences. What we're, we're talking about this. I am the inexperienced young pastor. Uh, you're the old wise. No, I'm just playing with you. No, he's not old, but he, you know, he Dennis has substantially more experience pastoring than I do. Um, and I was before we were talking, we were just kind of talking about this. This is my first church to pastor where I have a realistic expectation of being here more than a couple years. And so this is my first time to actually get the chance to try to cast a vision. Um, and so I've been dealing with this over the past six months trying to figure out, all right, well, what is this vision that I can cast and what is it going to be founded on? And and I, you can get super detailed when you try to say, what is a healthy church? What is a biblical church? You got nine marks, all right, that you could go with their thing. And there's nine marks. They're going to, and they make sure to say they're not the nine marks, but they are nine prominent marks. But I tried to get even simpler for my church. And I trying, I'm trying to cast a vision around two things. Uh, the greatest commandments that Jesus gives us, love love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbors yourself, and the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Right. Um, and so I, that's what I personally am trying to wrap it around, and I am still in the process of trying to figure out what that looks like in my church, um, which I think is going to bring us to Dennis's point of how do we figure out what it looks like in our church, in our context. Right. And I think you start off, I think where you start is, is scripture. And like you said, it's, it's the great commission, the great commandment. I think, um, when you're, when you're beginning with a vision to me, ground zero for a vision is this idea of what does the church exist to do? And I think there's two Mm -hmm. things that the church exists to do. One of them is, is its purpose. And the other is its process. The purpose is to bring glory to God. Everything we do, should be about glorifying God. As mm-hmm. a church, our, our goal is to glorify God. Um, I mean, Scripture is just filled with verses about how we are to bring glory to God, how um, God's glory is the the end of all things, um, mm-hmm. is the purpose to which all history um, is pointing. And then the, the process behind that is found for for the church is found in Matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. For the lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And you can get into the you know. So what is the central command there? And if you look in the Greek, um, you've got the participles, which are go. Uh, mm-hmm. baptized and, and and teach. And so the main point is to make disciples. So the church mm-hmm. is to glorify God by making disciples. That is the that is the easiest distillation of what the purpose of the church is, is to glorify God by making disciples. So with that being ground zero, then you build that off of that. What were you going to say, Jonathan? I was just going to put just some background for why in the world do we say that, like what reason biblically do we say that our purpose is to glorify God primarily? Why do we say not say our mission is to save souls, right? right? And because and that's the common pushback that I see when I have discussed this issue with people is, what do you mean do it for the glory of God? Yeah, they'll say doing things for God's glory as a secondary thing, not the primary thing. But I think if 
it, it actually, when you start fleshing out what you're going to do in ministry, if you are founding your vision simply on the, we're going to save souls, that's our purpose and our job, I think you're going to find yourself fleshing out different ethical dilemmas that you're going to encounter in your ministry versus if you base it on it being God's glory. And so a defense I give for reading God's glory uh, as the primary purpose of the church is because it's the primary purpose of God. (laughs) And yeah, you know, and so I challenge people. I I had a church member just recently um, after a sermon where I made a big point about God's primary purpose being to glorify himself. And he really had a problem with that. And so I did a challenge for him. I said, listen, I want you to go through scripture, start in Genesis, go to Revelation and, or use a Bible, use a Bible app where you can just Google uh, keywords and references. Look for every single reference where God gives an explanation of his reasoning behind doing something. Every single time, without exception, it says some version of for my glory so that my name will be great among the nations uh, because surely because of the purpose of my will you know like every every time God explains himself it's the cosmic version of because I wanted to you know (laughs) one of the most key verses Isaiah 43 7 says everyone who is called by my name whom I have created for why for my glory Mm -hmm. I have formed him yes I have made him God created us for his glory. And so when people say, well, it's the saving of souls, the saving of souls glorifies God. Exactly. Um, That brings God glory. But the problem is when we make it about saving souls or even making disciples as the central reason we do what we do, the problem is that runs out of steam. That um, that becomes very me centric and very self centered, and and one of the keys that we've got to get our churches to one of the problems we have in our churches is that everything is so me centered that um, that we we don't focus on God and and everything is supposed to be focused to Him and, and I think the danger of not doing that is we get into hyper pragmatism that we exactly. see in today and so we have to be careful with that John. well and another thing is if your sole purpose if your foundational purpose is to see souls saved well then what happens if God places you in a moment of ministry like Jeremiah or like William Carey or or countless other godly men who've come before you where God has God sometimes does intentionally put you in a place where you are to labor faithfully without reaping benefits, maybe in your lifetime, maybe in a year or two years, you know. And and if your sole purpose and what drives you is simply and it's not bad to be driven to want to win souls, but if that is the core of what you're driving by, man, you're going to be so defeated when you go through a period of your ministry or your church sees a period where you're not seeing a lot of souls saved. Um, but if your vision and the core of what you want is to glorify God, you can find meaning and purpose and joy and reward 
just simply for being obedient to God's word for 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 the attempt, you know. Um, and, and I think that's just one thing as a as a pastor. If your sole vision is I got to win souls, I got to see converts, I have to see baptisms, you're going to be looking at every other church. And I've had a bit of this lately myself, where I see other churches. It's like, man, this is the third week they've posted about seeing someone saved, and it's been three months since it's happened at my church. And, and you start to get this bitter jealousy in your heart. Um, but if that's because my perspective, yes, souls being saved is very, it's it's preeminently important, but it is superseded by we seek to glorify God. And how do we do that primarily by being obedient to his word? And one more thing before we move on from this point, because I think this is such a central point that it is going to inform the way we cast vision. So it's important that we talk about this. But, but what tends to happen is we tend to put the results of the thing, the effects of the thing into a central location, and those things become idols to us. They become an idol that we worship, so we worship baptisms. We worship people getting saved. We worship our church growing, and we forget to worship God who is supreme and central. And and so when we do that, what happens is we lose focus of God, we lose sight on God, and eventually when we hit those dry spells, that's why you see burnout, that's mm-hmm. why you see people leaving the ministry, that's why you see churches splitting, because as long as things are going good, when that's your focus, as long as things are going in the right way, everybody's like, yeah, but mm-hmm. the second... That, that God, and, and let's not forget, it is God who saves souls, not us. Mm-hmm. And so Amen. Um, that's a pressure that we're putting on ourselves as pastors, especially small church pastors, that was never meant to be put on us. And there is a freedom in saying, my job is to be consistent and faithful and mm-hmm. preach the gospel and trust him for the increase and trust him to do what he can do. And when I stay in my lane and I focus, this is what I'm to do. And I allow God to be God and do what he's allowed to do. Then I don't get burned out in those dry seasons. I may get yeah. frustrated and go, Hey God, yeah. I'm ready for us to get a little fruit, but I'm not burned out because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Exactly. Staying in my lane, and pastor, small church pastor, that is a that, that would be the thing that God has taught me the most is, hey, dude, stay in your lane. This yeah. is your job. This is your job. Do your job. Be faithful in your job, and God will glorify himself through that. And, and that's not saying it as a cop-out for not being evangelistic, not being a soul winner. You Being faithful to God's word, you're going to be evangelistic. You're, if you're going to be faithful to God's word for his glory, you're going to be making disciples. You're going to be loving and serving the least of these. You're, you're going to want to try to be a soul winner, but you realize that the reason you're doing that is not because that's your highest purpose. It's something greater, and it's God's glory. So— how so, do you as a pastor, moving forward, because I feel like we've spent a lot of time on this, how do you as a pastor determine where your church is so that you can um, start working on a vision for them? How do you, what you phrase you used earlier was exegeting your context. And, and I think that's incredibly important. And I think it's one thing that a lot of times guys don't do well. It's it's exegeting their context. As pastors, we exegete a text when we take a text of scripture and we study it 
and we break it apart and try to get it into its constituent parts so we can ask, what is this text saying? What is the Word of God saying to us? Um, So it's coming out of the text. We preach out of the text, not preaching into the text. In the same way, we as pastors have to exegete two things. We have to exegete our people that are in our church, and we have to exegete our community that God has placed our church in. And that's essential because in exegeting our people, what we mean by that is we need to study our people so we can know where they're at. We need to know where they're at spiritually, what's their spiritual temperature, what's their spiritual level. Are they are they um, people who love the Word of God? Are they studying the Word of God? Are they reading it on their own? Or are they people who are um, more... Um, uh, social Christians or um, mm-hmm. who go to church because that's what mom and dad did. So you need to sort of figure out where your church is as a whole. Granted, that's going to vary among individuals, but you need to sort of get the spiritual temperature of your church as a whole. You need to find a baseline temperature. For the most of my church, are they growing in the Lord or are they lukewarm? Um, or even cold. And then you also need to do the same thing for the community. You need to ask questions. You need to ask, where is our community? Um, You know, who lives there? You know, um, is our community predominantly one race or another race? Is our community predominantly young or old? Is our community predominantly um, lower income or or upper income? And and those are important questions because they should shape your vision. Um, The way you reach um, lower middle class white um, Southern Americans is not the same way you're going to reach upper income um, Asia, Eurasian people who live here, who've immigrated here, and, and you know who just, own just slightly racist Eurasian people. <laughs> no, I'm just playing with you, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. I, I mean, know. I'm not going to reach um, Muslims the same way that I reach yeah. um, Bubba and 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 Bobby Jean down the street in the trailer. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. there's a different way that you reach those people, and you need to know who's there. You need to know. Who God, because God has planted that church for a purpose to reach the people in the context, not the people 20 miles away and not the people in someone else's context. And so you've got to exegete your people to know where they're at and your community to know where it's at. So you can begin to say, what do we need to do to get to where we need to be to reach the people God's given us to? Well, uh, exactly. One of the ways that I've done this at a few different churches is when I first get to a church, just for my own personal benefit, is I, I request a demographic study um, of the of the community. And, and you can do this if you're – I don't know how to do it if you're not a Southern Baptist, but if you're a Southern Baptist, all you got to do is contact uh, your local or state convention, and they – Almost every convention, uh, state or local association has a tool um, that basically will aggregate. If you um, if you don't have that and you don't, you can also contact uh, whatever seminary is closest to you. Um, for for me, where I live, it's New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, but you can actually contact them, and for at no cost to you, they have like a, an intern who it's his work study to do this kind of thing. They will give you like an incredibly detailed breakdown. I mean, it's like six PDF documents um, of your neighborhood where it talks, it'll break down the ethnicity, it'll break down um, income range, household size, it'll break down uh, even 
even like worldview analysis type stuff. Like it'll tell you things like is the people are the people in your community more a conservative or liberal in their voting patterns and things like that. Like all that kind of information is useful for you in understanding who your community is and, and determining the context around you. But that's just like one tool you could do for free, a, a phone call or an email to someone and you could get that started for your church. Also there's um there's some some online you can go to uh, church-planning.net. It's Passion for Planning, and they do a free demographic report for your area. You just fill it out. There's also the Mapping Center that does some demographic study stuff. And then also the North American Mission Board does demographic stuff. So um, if you're not a Southern Baptist, um, look, these places have – um, things available to you. You can find some of these these things, but the, the key is to get a demographic study. Uh, one other one I know, Outreach.com does some demographic stuff. Now, that's okay. not me, but they do some demographic stuff, and you can get some demographic stuff through Outreach.com. But but the key is find uh, – demographic report is an, is an invaluable tool to know who's around you. Um, it's not going to give you detailed information about every house, but it'll give you a mm-hmm. good – cross-section of age, ethnic background, financial, you know. I mean, and if you wanted to get in, like, that's free options, okay? There are some services, if you wanted to, depending on how much money you want to invest to, you can can set up a service to where you'll get an email notification anytime a family moves into your community, you know? Like, there's all sorts of things that if you pay enough money, you can find out information about your community. But these free ones we're talking about are ones that, like, a small church where you have zero budget for this kind of stuff, you know? Uh, you can do these for free and just learn a little bit about your community. Absolutely. Um, so what else other than just your general community demographics do you need to learn a, about your church before you start implementing the vision? Um, I think you need to know your church's history. I think knowing where they've come from, um, find the dirty stuff, find the battles, find the wars, mm-hmm. what what church, the church is split over, um, why people left. Um, find some some people who are godly people, preferably, who have left the church, and sit down with them and ask them why. Mm-hmm. Why did y'all leave? What happened? Um, yep. Yeah, a lot of times you're going to get the the whole you know the whole thing with divorces. It's like you got his side, her side, and the truth somewhere in the middle. Yeah. It's the same with church breakups. You're going to get one group side, and you're going to get the other group side. But there's value in learning why these things happen. And once again, your local um, synod, if you're not Baptist, or your local association, a lot of times your your um, your your parish priest, if you're Episcopalian or, or um, Methodist or one of those, or if you're a if you're a Baptist, your your associational missionary, they can give you a lot of insight. Knowing once again, <coughs> they have a point of view. They've talked to certain people. They don't know the whole story either. And so, um, but those things are invaluable. You need to know where the dirty laundry is because that helps you make wise plans. And tips to this, people are not going to usually just come out and tell you why their church is failing, but you'll hear things when you ask your church members about their history. They'll say things like, I can remember when we used to fill this sanctuary. 
Right. All right. And they're not feeling it now. There's a story behind that. All right. right. They might not come out and tell you right away, but you have to push and figure these things out. Um, And not not just the good things. Sometimes you need to look back at those things and not just find out what went wrong, but find out what was working so well, because. Uh, you know what? A pastor in the past, I right, just take one from my church. There was a pastor at our church that led the church to grow tremendously. They built a new sanctuary. They were running 150 plus. Um, and then all of a sudden, it seems like in short notice, they fire that pastor and the majority of the people leave the church. Right. Right. So I find out about that. I'm like, okay, what what happened? What was going on? I dig into it, talking to people who had left, talking to people who were still here. And what I found out is that this pastor um, did a great job of reaching young families. Like he was, and how was he doing that? He was being very involved in their school activities. Um, he, he would even like go even as just, he wasn't even a youth minister. Okay. They didn't have a youth minister, but as a pastor, he would like randomly pop in and eat lunch with church members, children's at their local high schools. Like he was just very involved with the young people. He was at all their sporting events. Um, he was big in family moments uh, where he would try to be at birthday parties and things, and he was big like that. What was the problem? The older people in the church felt like he was betraying them because he was only focused on young people. So there was obviously a failure of that pastor, though he was really good at that one thing. He was not good at ministering to the older people and making them feel heard or valued or done. So go f- find these situations and figure out the good and the bad and how you can apply the good and avoid the bad in your situation. And that's going to be crucial. Yeah, it is crucial. Finding out what's important. And that's part of it is finding out when you're exegeting your church, not only do you need to find out the good, bad, and ugly, but you need to find out what's important to them because what they value will help you. Number one, it'll help you understand where they're at temperature wise. You know, the last church I was at, the church I just left to come to the church I'm at now, um, their shut-ins and their senior adults were the most important thing to them. I mean, they valued visitation. They valued that kind of stuff um, to to a, an incredible degree, sometimes almost too much, but an yeah. incredible degree. So I knew that it was incredibly important for me to go visit at least once a month, go visit all my shut-ins. Now at the church I'm at now, that's important, but it's not central. And mm. so I know that. So it, um, so I have to ask the question, well, what is central to them? And so mm-hmm. you begin to ask these questions because that helps you understand when you're working your vision, you have to, because in a, in a healthy vision, that's not going to get you fired, which is important is you've got to find out what's central to them, even if it's not the most biblical thing. Yeah. Find out what's important to them, because part of your plan is how do I do these things while I'm simultaneously teaching my people a more biblical way of looking at these things yeah. and finding ways to replace you know, take it with visitation. How do I begin to move them from a, the pastor has to see me, that as long as the pastor or one of the deacons comes to see me um, kind of situation? How do you make that shift so that the people don't rebel and they the, the senior don't still yeah. feel cared for, but at the same time? So that should be a part of your vision is how do I do this in a way 
that moves my church forward. One way you're going to do that is by uh, a term that was introduced to me by a former pastor I served under uh, is there is a thing called relationship equity. All right. And, and the idea is that there are people in your life and in everyone's life who over time have built up equity. They have invested in people. They've built a relationship with them. And what you need to do as a pastor in your church is determine who in your church has high levels of relational equity. Those, even if they're not in any kind of formal leadership position, you automatically are going to know that if anything is going to change or happen at your church, you need those people with relational equity that's been built up for generations longer than you've ever um, been at that church. You need to win those people over with your vision if you're going to influence anyone else in the church. Yeah, absolutely, Jonathan. I actually call it a goodwill bank account. Um, it's another concept. So you've got to find those movers. I call them movers in the church, the ones that move the church either to the positive or the negative. When you're getting ready to implement your vision, you've got to have those people in your corner. It's foolish to try to to move forward without without at least having some of those people in your corner because you may not ever get all of them in your corner, but if you can get more of them in your corner that are than that are outside of your corner, it's good. Because let's be honest, um, this is the way people think in your church. They think you're going to be here um, three to 10 to 15 years tops. These people are going to be here forever. I've got to see these people when you're gone. And so for a lot of people, you're asking them to, to, um, to go against relationships they've had their entire lives. You know, as one person told me one time, um, they said, all of these ladies that we're about to make mad changed my diaper. And you're <laughs> asking me um, to, to go against them. And, and I'd never thought of it that way. And so you've got to identify those people. So that's a part of exegeting your context is finding out who those movers are. And then second, a concept is having a spiritual bank account. Every pastor has a spiritual bank account. And as you're beginning to get ready to do your vid, your 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 um your um purpose or your vision or, or vision cast to your church, um, everything you do as a minister either adds to your spiritual your your um goodwill bank account or spends credit out of your goodwill bank account and you've got to spend time building your your goodwill bank account before you try to cast a vision if any of this is sounding familiar sorry to interrupt you but if any of this is sounding familiar it's because this concept is dealt with and what is it is the five love languages yeah um they deal with this concept but we've kind of taken that underlying concept and said, you know what, this applies more than your marriage relationship. This applies to all relationships. It does. It does. If, and, and one of the biggest problems that guys make is when they jump into a new church, they begin spending that money mm-hmm. and then they end up getting to the end of it and half the church hates their guts because they didn't take time to love and, and on on the people in the church. And look, I had a pastor tell me this one time, and it was the greatest advice he ever gave me. He said, when you go to a church, find your senior adult lady Sunday school class and go love on them every Sunday. And he said, here's why. Those ladies are every deacons and every leaders in that church's grandmother and mama. And if they're on your side, 
then when at lunch that deacon's complaining about you, that grandmama's going to put them in their place because you're their preacher. And we're not trying to sound calloused or crass, but knowing that you as a pastor have to spend time building relationships with people in your church, that is a biblical and a good thing because, you know, We see that modeled in Scripture. Jesus spent three years building relationships and building up his disciples before. You know, God could have showed up and said, hey, I'm going to crucify my son so that he can save you. And he could have done that in an instant. But but God understood that we needed to know why. We needed to know how. We needed to know that he loves us and have that relationship so that we would understand the sacrifice. That's what the Old Testament was about, helping us to understand why the, old te- the, the sacrifice was necessary. And as a pastor, we need to do the hard groundwork of building relationships so that when we cast our vision, people know we love them. And we're not just doing this because we're, we're Mr. Meanie, Mr. Negative. We think they're stupid. It's... We love you, but we also see the problems, and we want to help walk together through those problems, and I think yeah, that's incredibly yeah. important. Well, it's it's almost the goal in a vision casting, and here's how you know if you're doing it right. If you're doing it wrong, the church views this as, well, that's the, something the pastor's trying to do. I, if you're doing it right, the church says this is something we are trying to do. And the we pastor's just leading us in it. We have to do. Too. Yes. And, and when when you the people, if you can figure out a way when you're studying your church, like how one of the questions you're asking is how do I get my church members to take ownership of this vision? Um, how does it transfer from just being this wild, crazy idea this pastor has, which if it fails, they dump and blame you and you're fired because of in two years? Or do you get it to where the church really takes ownership with it? Because if the church will take ownership of your vision and, and that being a goal for you as you're trying to determine how to cast this, if the church will take ownership with you, that is going to safeguard your ministry to any temporary failures or setbacks. Um, I'm going to quote Tony Robbins. I know this immediately puts me in dubious territory, but what he says is true. And it's this, it says change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Yeah. And you know, there's that you, you can, you can chalk that under common grace, but that is absolutely true. Change will not happen in your church until they realize that the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain, the price of change. And once they realize, they get to that point where they say, hey, if we stay the same, this is what's going to happen. And that pain is greater. And part of pastoring is helping them to see that. You know, yeah. part of pastoring is helping them to see, hey, if we don't change, we're going to die. Yeah, don't want to say that, but if you can't get your people to see that, then what's going to happen is they'll never change, and yeah. you've got to get them to that place. Well, we this is we thought this was going to be a one one episode 
talk on vision casting, but the more we've got into this, I think we're going to have to break this down into two episodes. We are. Um, so let's let's take a moment here where we're going to say we're going to cut this off and come back with our next episode. Um, we've kind of dealt conceptually with the idea of vision casting. Next episode that we release, we'll do some practical steps, some how-tos, um, ways to safeguard yourself, um, how to or gauge if you're moving too fast or too slow. Um, those are some just concepts we had planned on talking about this week, um, but I think we're going to talk about next week instead because we're running out of time. So I'm going to throw a curveball to you, Dennis, so we didn't talk about this in advance. Are there any resources other than what we've already mentioned that you would want to give somebody as they are preparing a vision for their church? Uh, yeah, I think um, if you're getting ready to make some change in your church, of course, um, you can one of one of my favorite places to start to, to sort of get an idea of what a healthy church looks like is, of course, the nine marks of the healthy church is a great book, but it is it is really thick. But um, Mark Dever has distilled that into a smaller book. It's called What is a Healthy Church? And it sort of yeah. takes those nine marks and makes it a little bit easier. Also, a great resource, a great book that I recommend every pastor read is The Trellis and the Vine because they sort yes. of they sort of address some of these issues of leadership and how to make these changes. And, and, and then um, I think, you know, as far as resources go, and, and I'm looking at my bookshelf as we have this conversation. Me too. <laughs> curveball um I, I think as far as resources um simple church by uh rainer and geiger is another great book that talks about um how to do it simply autopsy of a deceased church is a hey, good yes. diagnostic book on where your church is fantastic and i think those are fantastic books to help you and then as far as the idea of vision casting and how do I begin to, to move my church that direction. And once again, this is another book that's from a group that um, I'm not going to agree with everything that they do because they tend, tend to be a little bit more pragmatic. But there's a book um, by Hawkins and, and Parkinson called Move that comes out of Willow Creek. Um, but it is an amazing book because it's a book about how Willow Creek re- realized that we were we were making converts, but we weren't making disciples and how they've begun to yeah, shift yeah. towards disciple making. And then um, Church is a, a Team Sport is another great book on discipleship. Um, man, I could just keep going on book after book on, on how do we begin to make this turn. But those are some right off the top of my head. Do you have any, Jonathan, that you would like uh, to add? Yeah, I have a few. It's it's. A lot of times, if you go and look, if you went to Amazon and Googled vision, books on vision casting, you're not going to come up with many solid things. There are going to be some little out there, wacky kind of stuff. Uh, what I recommend doing is just search out books under these two categories, disciple making and church revitalization, because by the nature of those topics, they are going to cover vision casting as a process. Uh, one one I put out there, Center Church by Timothy Keller. Um, by Tim Keller. That's a solid one. That's another kind of thick one, but it's a good solid book. Um, uh, he's already mentioned Simple Church, but it's about Simple Church. They also have Simple Youth and Student Ministry um, that goes along that as a parody. Um, the Disciple Making Church. I can't remember the name uh, of the author on that one, but I remember it being good. Um, I even would probably throw in 
um, Stetzer's Comeback Churches uh, as as another good recommendation because he's going to – in that one, they're going to walk through kind of some real-life examples of churches who've managed to, um, among other things, get a vision done right. Um, One other I want to add because I just – as soon as we start talking about this, it hit my brain is uh, Mark Clifton, who we interviewed, he did a book called Reclaiming the Glory that deals with revitalizing a church. It is, I'm reading it right now. It is an excellent book about how do we begin to do this process of of, of revitalizing and refocusing our church. So I think those are some some wonderful resources that I would recommend. Yeah, and so a lot of these books, they're not focused. Their main point is not going to be on casting a vision, but there are going to be some jewels hidden in these books that will really help you if you think about how are we going to move our church to being more consistent to make disciples, more consistent to following the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Um, You're going to find them in these church revitalization and um, disciple um, disciple focused, discipleship focused books that you can find, uh, whether on Amazon or Lifeway or um, any kind of Christian bookstore you want to look at. They're going to be solid. You can't go wrong with any of these that we've listed for you. All right. Well, Dennis, thanks for doing this with me. And uh, I think it's been a pretty good episode. We'll see y'all next week. Yep. Don't forget, um, Small Church Shepherds is a ministry um, can committed to encouraging, equipping, and enriching small church pastors. Uh, Don't forget to go to our blog um, and read some of our blog posts where we discuss these things and many others there, um, smallchurchshepherds.com. You can email us at smallchurchshepherds at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook page, Small Church Shepherds, and our Twitter, Shepherds Small. And um, Jonathan, look forward to talking to you soon. All right, man. All right.